0: Hey podcast listeners, I just want to give you guys a heads up that I actually recorded this episode a couple months back, so it's not exactly the freshest one, but it does talk about a a hot topic here about pharmacist testing for things like flu, which obviously we're seeing more with COVID. So this was kind of pre all of that that came down, but still in the early stages of the pandemic. So thanks for listening and enjoy the discussion. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Mahesh Mulani. Dr. Mulani is a physician in the Owensboro, Kentucky area and has been a physician for over 20 years. He's also the author of a book called Tough Decisions in Care of Elderly Loved Ones. Dr. Mulani, thanks for coming on the podcast, and is there anything else you want to share with listeners about your experience in medicine?
1: Oh, thank you, Eric, uh, for having me. Actually, my interest is uh, basically geriatric population and I'm internist by training, that's about it. I'll, I see a lot of elderly patients, so that, that uh, inspired me to write a book. That was to literally when the patients and the families always used to come to me with uh, issues relating to old age and the conditions which come with old age. So that uh, I always saw them confused not all. I mean, always means I saw them confused a lot, and so I wrote something up to get put my thoughts together in a book.
0: That's so, awesome. It, yeah, writing a book is not easy, so I, I give you props with that. I uh, I haven't read it myself, but I did give it read a synopsis of it. it looks like a good thing that people can kind of go out there and get their hands on if they aren't in medicine and want to know basically, you know, how to help care for some elderly ones. But the reason I wanted you on the podcast today and there was something you shared on LinkedIn that was kind of a hot take for a lot of people, whether it be in pharmacy or in medicine. But <laughs> what what you shared was is that you thought pharmacists shouldn't be doing a rapid f- flu or strep tests on people. Can you kind of share, you know, why you thought that this is the case or this shouldn't be something going forward?
1: Yeah, because. It limits uh, what you are looking at, you know. There is a limited, you are only, if you are doing flu and strep test, so basically you are checking for two things. For example, if both are negative and patient is still sick, you tell the patient to go to your doctor, isn't it? Or you give something which you are not supposed to give. Or you treat a strep, uh, th- as a strep throat, oh, take this antibiotic, because you know, now you have ability to prescribe also or you just say go to your primary care physician then it means there are two visits for a patient one is to the pharmacist pharmacy and another is to the physician this is one reason second it is very difficult for a patient to walk in like for example right now we are having this corona thing going on pharmacy is a very open place so many people now pharmacy is usually not just pharmacy nowadays you you know what it is you know it's like uh, Walmart has a pharmacy, Myers has pharmacy, Target has pharmacy, even Walgreens, CVS, they are big stores. So you are exposing a lot of people with your illness. And I, I mean, this is my thinking that when a person who has flu or is strep throat or sick, you know, because of these type of symptoms comes to me, I do a holistic care on the person. You know, because my nurse brings the patient in, a nurse or medical assistant, and we do the vitals of the patient. We go over other tests, which patient has done, you know, or done three months ago, or needs to do. So we are doing a holistic approach. We are not just checking, okay, flu negative or flu positive, strep negative, or strep positive. So in a physician's office, i would say patients will get a uh, holistic care which they will not be able to do in pharmacy and this concern was brought to me by one of uh, the pharmacists in town he uh, I mean, he's not a young guy like you you know he's 60 year old and he says dr mulani i did not become pharmacist to give injections i hate it you know, and he said, my, that is not my uh, thing. You know, I don't want to give injections. I don't want to do a strep test. So there are, uh, what you will see, many pharmacists would like to do pharmacy. Like, uh, I will give you example, that uh, in ICU and in hospitals, and now you know everybody, everywhere. Pharmacists give me so, such a great advice on antibiotics. You know, I'm like, I have started some antibiotic. They will call me after a couple of days. Hey, Dr. Mulani, this culture code has come back and patient is not susceptible to this antibiotic. Would you like to change, you know? Things like that. So this was not to undermine what pharmacists are doing. This was to say that we have a specialist who can do pharmacy and we have a specialist who can do medicine. We are blurring the line which may not help. And, you know, many pharmacists, uh, you know, the post which went viral, it really, I mean, many of my posts have gone viral, but this was um, a viral in a very bad way. <laughs> <laughs> like 50,000 people came and so many pharmacists uh, came and wrote, hey, this doctor doesn't know anything, things like
0: that. <laughs> yeah, it, it did <laughs> so really take off. Yeah, so, um,
1: so, for, uh, some people very really took it very personally, and they say, "Well, collaborative agreement is a big thing, and we should collaborate." I am all for collaboration. I uh, uh, recently another pharmacist did a podcast with me, and uh, they are doing a lot of things. They come to physician offices and review the patient medications. You know, once a week they come and review five to ten patients medications and give them advice that this medicine talk to your physician this may not be right and you know they, this can be changed to this and this like this is an amazing service a pharmacist can provide similarly pharmacists call me all the time regarding the prescriptions i write, hey dr mulani this patient is 80 year old do you want to change the dose oh yeah this is i give tamiflu a little high dose let me make it 30 milligram you know mm-hmm. so So they call me all the time. And this amazing service they are already providing. So there is a collaboration already. But a few weeks or uh, not weeks, months ago, I got a pharmacist uh, who came to my office and uh, that person wanted me to sign a collaborative agreement. She can do a flu and a test. I do not know her clinical expertise at all. You know, so why should I do a collaborative agreement with a person whom I don't know, who practice, who doesn't practice in the same place I practice, that person has a private pharmacy, somewhere in town, which is five miles away. So if that, if I sign the, that thing, or somebody else signs, I don't have problem. I mean, anybody signs this, they are basically saying this pharmacist is qualified to do strep and flu test without knowing what they are doing. That person is doing, and just doing again. It is not a holistic approach. Basically, we are doing uh, drive-through type of testing. You know, that, yeah. okay, come, you know. So that is, I think that is not good medicine. A collaboration is pharmacists, helps physicians, physicians, help pharmacists, and we all grow together. That is collaboration as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, I have a huge regard for pharmacists because they give me excellent service all the time, every day. It is not just any single day. Every sing uh, like any particular day. Every single day they give me great service. So that is what I mean to say that if there is a far and again, if they start doing that, what will happen? Then it it will create a friction between pharmacists and uh, physicians. This will not be, this will not be a collaboration. It will create a friction. Then pharmacists will start doing their medicine thing, and medicine uh, doctors will do start doing their own pharmacy thing. Then, we'll, then, then we are pulling each other's legs. We are not growing as a society. As a society, we grow by helping each other.
0: I think that last point you have is is definitely a valid concern from both the pharmacy side and from the the practitioner side. Uh, anyone who's listening to the podcast knows I'm an advocate for doing stuff like this. So I wanted to have Dr. Milani on here so we could have a a very civilized discussion around this, because he was one of the one of the physicians I saw who was opposed to this, and I think it's ironic that we're doing this podcast in the middle of the whole coronavirus outbreak. So, it kind of changes your perspective on things when you're looking at pandemics, and to me, especially because like we have this pandemic thing going on this highlights where this is a good thing because we are seeing that the healthcare system is so overwhelmed now granted this is a once in a 50 year 100 year type of thing so i don't want to you know throw the baby out the bathwater in this case but in this is a case where the pharmacist could step up and do this, I feel like. And you did mention the the holistic approach. I feel like at least pharmacists now, the PharmDs, are definitely graduating who are taught that. I know I was taught a lot of basic diagnostic stuff in in pharmacy school, not like you were in medicine school. I'm not even going to compare that level, just the same way you can't compare our pharmacology to your pharmacology. It's it's our different areas of expertise, if you will. But I yeah. always, I always thought that these were – good because most pharmacists I've there's always exceptions in every in every medical field who's not maybe a good faith actor or something like that but all all the pharmacists I know ask the questions and if they thought it was a flu or this was a flu diagnosis they could run the test and example I use just kind of that happened just this week with my wife she got sick and of course with the coronavirus stuff we're thinking oh no what are your symptoms you know she's a little freaked out she's not a healthcare worker but she's a chemist so she's pretty smart about it. And all of her symptoms kind of lined up with flu. Well, we did a telehealth visit with a nurse practitioner who over the phone without ever touching or ever looking at her just said, okay, check. You have a fever, check. You have these symptoms. I'm going to send in Tamiflu. And oh, we, we went, okay. we went and got it. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? I get why telehealth is important, especially for mental health. I really like it for mental health. Cause you don't have to leave your home if you're uncomfortable or what have you. But when it comes to something like flu or strep, you're diagnosing over the phone you can't actually physically examine the person in many cases and then the pharmacy can really step up in, in this case and run that swab or do something like that and in this case help you know rule in rule out what it is and honestly and this is the way i look at it we can avoid some of those things with telehealth because yeah okay with telehealth they are going to be seen by somebody who is of the right skill set but they're not actually running a diagnostic test and they're just basing it off of symptom, like the symptoms of everything. And that's where I really thought that, hey, pharmacists have a role here, because if you can do this via telehealth, we can definitely do it in the pharmacy. And I know that our current compensation is a lot of it's tied to like a fee for service or based off of like what we dispense, but this is kind of a case where we can put in a little bit of that clinical decision making. And now we have the responsibility of making their decision and it isn't tied to picking a medication or anything that we could get some sort of kickback or conflict of interest on since there's, you know, only a few meds really approved for something like flu streps a little different with antibiotics, but we could still base that off of history because we do know, you know, diabetics, who's high risk. We do know the people have hypertension, the age categories, all those basic demographics. We could take a history on what are your thoughts of that? Whereas maybe pharmacy could really help step in here provide that le- better level of service than some of your telehealth diagnostics?
1: Well, telehealth, is you need to do another 50-minute podcast <laughs> on that. Yeah. <laughs> the reason is because I just started this tele-coronavirus, mm-hmm. so I stopped doing a, a face-to-face visit in my office. And this whole week, even one patient walked into clinic, we told him, go back and we'll call you on phone. You know? Yeah. So I did t- I'm just doing telemedicine this week completely zero zero interaction so telemedicine as you said has a lot of limitation. that's 100 percent i mean full of limitations like I've, i heard a patient told me they called you know this insurance company as doctors nowadays they called the doctor and doctor uh, doctor or np i don't know who was that you know nowadays the word you the provider which is derogatory to all the doctors you know we don't like that word um, so <laughs> uh, so telemedicine is a lot of uh, I'm, I'm doing telemedicine for this five days and I have noticed I can connect with the patient because they all know me they are my regular patients yeah. but if I do not know it is very difficult for, to for me but that it will it uh, lowers my threshold to give antibiotic or Tamiflu you know antiviral medicine Correct. it lowers my Threshold really bad. I think it. I think that is kind of abuse to patient.
0: Interesting. I don't know, so
1: to, well, literally, because uh, because otherwise patient will go and write a review on a doctor that telemedicine doctor did not help me. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, that is a if common I, problem in all of healthcare. Pharmacies had it for years where people call our corporate to complain, and when we did something right, like didn't give them a Percocet that was too soon. So yeah, I, I can relate to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. So patients have now this negative review thing. So they will write it. So telemedicine has to be limited. I do not think antibiotics, unless it is some cellulitis which you can see, uh, You know, like patients, uh, as I was telling you, patient one patient got antibiotic for otitis media <laughs> on internet. Yep. They were told you have otitis media. On telemedicine, one nurse told me, she got Levaquin for 10 days. I said, what the heck is this? <laughs> that is, you know, Levaquin for 10 days for sore throat? Yeah. You know, like, this is not medicine then, you know. Like, we can say, oh, we <laughs> You know? That's, uh,
0: that's so, a good term for it in some cases, I'm sure.
1: No, but just because it's, uh, telemedicine is a great role. Uh, like, in a patient who are in nursing homes, doctors are not there all the time so somebody can see them. Telemedicine has a role in ICUs. Telemedicine has a role in telepsychiatry, I think, because there is a lot of shortage.
0: Yeah, for sure, definitely but, psychiatry.
1: But uh, upper respiratory tract infection, if you're talking about, if it is cold, I think there is a great role for telemedicine. You just call in Flonase and Allegra. <laughs> <laughs> you should be calling you know, Allegra Clinic or Claritin Clinic, simple. Uh, just just, uh, oh, you need this. I like over the counter, go and pick it up. Yeah. And so, but, but if the patient is having fever and flu-like symptoms, I think it is better to examine a patient. I just, I myself gave uh, Tamiflu to one patient uh, because I'm not touching anybody. I, mean, I said, okay, you look like you are having flu. I'll call Tamiflu in the, like a normal, co- non-corona day. I would have told them to come in and let me see, you know, what is going on. You know. I would like to examine your ears. I would like to examine your throat. You know. So yeah, and b- before I prescribe these things.
0: And one thing you hit on there is obviously you said you want to see them. And you, said, you also mentioned earlier that this could create two visits, which I totally understand, especially if it came back negative or something like that, for something like a flu test here or a strep test. But one thing that I know is an issue, and obviously you're in Kentucky, I'm in Ohio, we have some very very rural parts of our states where you know a physician or a hospital might be pretty far away, or a pharmacy might be open later and more accessible. Do you think that's a good reason that pharmacists should be there and could be able to provide these tests, so that you know that immediate access and of care of quality care?
1: Oh, this is a very excellent question. I love this question, by the way. So, what? Uh, I'll give you a different analogy for this. Like, there, if there is a shortage of pilots in the country you know people who fly planes pilots we won't tell the air controller okay you can chip in and tomorrow you can do some pilot job so similarly if you think there's a shortage of physicians or nps and pas then we should have more of them don't you think so like i i don't nothing this is not against pharmacists i'm saying they should be practicing on the top of their education. Physicians should be doing their, on the top of their education. NPs should be doing on top of their education. Like, I you, I don't know whether you, how long you have been following me on Facebook. I have been vocal about this NP education. I write polls for the education of NPs. For the last few weeks, I was just too much into corona because nobody wants to learn anything new. You know, everybody's into corona. Yeah. But but i have almost every day whatever i wrote was directed towards np education so they learn something new you know because this is what i have learned in medical school this is what i have learned in my not just medical school after training like for example i'll give you an example you learn, you many of the ph- pharmacists are, are as much educated as i mean the education level you know like Medicine and pharmacy, they are educated similarly. Yeah. Like uh, years of education. Let's put it like this. You know, education is similar. So here we have some of the physicians who have hired NPs. So NPs can do their work in clinics and they just do procedures, which is wrong too. I've seen that too. (laughs) Yeah. So because like I became gastroenterologist, gastroenterologist starts practicing in their, as a gastroenterologist, when they're 34 year old, 35 year old, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: at that age they start practicing. Like this much education has gone in their training. And all of a sudden they go to the clinic and tell somebody, okay, I will just do procedures and the nurse practitioner will take care of Crohn's disease. That is not right. You know? A nurse practitioner is not trained in Crohn's disease. This guy got internal medicine residency, then geriatric fellowship, and he's not doing that thing. That is, he sh, what I'm saying is he should be practicing at the height of his career, you know? Full, uh, what do you call Full-on gastroenterology. Like, you know, like, I will do clinic, I will do procedure. If we have shortage of gastroenterologists, then we should have more gastroenterologists. If we have shortage of pharmacists we should have four more pharmacists but like if there is an np working in the gastroenterology office she sh- should be taking history then presenting it to the doctor then doctor should come and discuss the case with the patient and tell these are this is our plan you know that is how np should work with a, a specialist but this is not happening in the country anymore
0: yeah no it definitely We've definitely seen the rise of nurse practitioners, and I think that there's obviously I, I don't have great ones out. There. Yeah, they're rise. definitely great out there and what they do. But I definitely hear what you're saying with this too. Yeah, the, I do like your analogy about flying a plane. Here, I look at it from a slightly different angle. Obviously, I'm a pharmacist, but you know we have a lot of the like the pharmacology training, and we have later hours. We have 24-hour pharmacies, but I look at this also as a cost-saving measure and as us acting more as a co-pilot. So if you know someone's a pilot, the hardest part is usually taking off or landing and the co-pilot can do a lot of the other stuff in between there from my understanding i'm, I'm not a pilot so i don't i don't act I don't like know i know that. everything that they do but you know this is the case where hey you know what if say it's a long flight say it's from like new york to tokyo or something you know this is that time where hey you know what while the doctors aren't there or in this case when the pilot isn't there we can step in and help and then the biggest thing too is and, and you know this er's are incredibly expensive so and, expensive, yeah. yeah and the point is is if we can save several of those visits you know every every week every month because we caught something it's worth the the small price that we would get reimbursed for a test for example in uh, states like idaho they have things like this and i th- i want to say i'm going off memory here it was like under 50 dollars to be tested for something like this i actually think it was more like 25 but I'm trying not to sell them short here but the point was is they can do that, and then for $50, if we can say, yeah, it looks like flu, double-check it, it is flu, here you go, here's some Tamiflu, here's some other things you can take over the counter and get you out the door, and we avoid a ER bill that could be well into the thousands of dollars. That's that's kind of my take on it. And I do feel that one of the key things here is that pharmacists are acting in good faith, not testing everybody. There definitely needs to be some sort of documentation of they presented with this, this, and this here's why i tested them here's my reimb- you know then i get reimbursed for it because we're not going to just go out and rapid test everybody that's not the point that's you know same with strep we're not doing that for everybody there's obviously some some clinical knowledge here that has to be applied and backed up with the presenting symptoms but the point is is we can keep people out of those er's we can keep people from being exposed that way and keep people out of the urgent cares now you're right pharmacies are yeah. pharmacies are busy like i get that like I, i'm at a very busy store but to your point, we do have quite a few pharmacists now who are graduating with PharmDs who can step up to the plate and do this. They've been trained. The pharmacist you mentioned was probably, I'm assuming, has his bachelor's, a little bit different training, especially how long ago it was or how long ago he went to school. Nowadays, we have very different schooling. And I can say that because my mom's a pharmacist with a bachelor's and I'm a PharmD. And what we did, although similar, was still very different. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I, again, this is the same thing. It it will not have effect on... Um, uh, primary care physicians, but it will have an effect on urgent care centers, what you are saying. I don't have problem with that also. I do not have problem. What I'm saying is I already see a lot of um, um, uh, prescriptions written um, by, you know, one day I wrote, said urgent care center. And people t- texted, a uh, person said, why you write urgent care center all the time? Um there are primary care physicians who write antibiotic all the time too, and he's correct. I mean, but I don't see any other primary care physicians patients in my office. I just see urgent care patients, you know, because these are my patients who go to urgent care and they come back and tell me, "Look, I got, I went to this urgent care center two weeks ago. They gave me antibiotic. Then I went again after a week, and they gave me another antibiotic, and now I'm here." you know, which antibiotic you will give me. And uh, when I was like, wait a minute, you all are already taking Levoquin and uh, augmented, there is nothing left for me to give. <laughs> so, so that is what I'm saying. It will, I think it will cause unnecessary um, burden on the patient. And uh, the most of like ER, you said, many, many ER visits are unnecessary patients go yeah. for even, you know, my toe was hurting and went <laughs> and I think they sent me a bill of 3000. Why did you go for the toe pain? Yeah, you know, but I mean there are so ER costs are amazingly high and which is ridiculous also but hey, we cannot change the world in one podcast <laughs> but I mean, if you think uh, it is good I mean, we can agree to disagree also, you know, it's oh, not yeah. necessary that we have to agree, I mean I have to put my point and you can put uh, your point, but what I've seen is with the Mushrooming of urgent care centers. I have seen whole lot of antibiotics written. I mean, you are a pharmacist who work in a pharmacy. So I, I'm i pretty sure you'll see most of the antibiotics are coming from urgent care centers, which are very busy. Yep. In fact, uh, if you are a busy urgent care center, it means you are giving a lot of antibiotics. You come, basically anybody with sore throat gets a Rosefin shot. And a decadron shot, you know why I do not know, but yeah. they get it, and after that they are prescribed levocoin or Z pak you know. this doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, no, I I've definitely seen what you're saying there, and that's kind of why I that's why I support the way like you know, like I said, we we are going to agree to disagree on this one, which is why I wanted you on here for a little bit different angle of taking this 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 approach. But I think that you know if we Have the farm, you know, the pharmacies who can do this. There's a little more. I don't want to say accountability, but more of the, hey, you know, we have a lot of people here who can now take care of these patients, and we're going to help, you know, reduce Medicare, Medicaid costs because they're not going to ER these urgent cares for simpler things. Now, I mean, we're not advocating for doing some of these, you know, other things like a broken arm or anything like that. We're just something that's more black and white that we can do while also knowing that, hey, if we think this is beyond our scope, we can kind of triage it to those urgent care centers or ER if we think it's worthy of it. So any other thoughts on it before we uh, wrap Yeah, up? I
1: have a question.
0: Yeah. Would you
1: like to do that? I... Or it is a Walgreens and CVS and the private owners of pharmacies would like you to do that?
0: Well, that's actually a good point. And some pharmacists have brought mm-hmm. that up that we you know will be more put on our plate. You know, I actually don't mind it because it lets me – interact with people in a way that can help take care of them. And I, I feel like that those places will staff accordingly to do that, especially, you know, when flu season comes, we already see upticks in hours and things like that. But I also think that this is a way that we can kind of take the, take pharmacy back a little bit to more of the, the fact where the pharmacists are running it and making the decisions and the independents can Provide this in the areas where there is a lack of access, you know, to urgent cares, you know, that might be an hour away or further, or might be closed.
1: So you just want to do in rural areas?
0: No, That's no. What you're saying? No, I, th- I think that rural areas are what make it. I think that you know, rural areas and the accessibility of it is what improves the whole thing while also reducing cost. You know,
1: this cost reduction, I'm not sure about it. I am not sure about cost reduction. Um, Why is that? Because uh, even in that thread, you read the pharmacists are saying, "Okay, we'll send the patient back to you." So basically, it is not reducing cost. You are sending the primary care, the patient back to primary care doctor. So th- there are two visits basically. I think that's why I think so.
0: Yeah, and that is so, a fair point. If it's something that doesn't get resolved and, right away, uh,
1: I I see it a uh, price. Reduction reduction in the cost, you know, like many institutions um, are trying to reduce cost by hiring NPs instead of doctors, it will reduce their cost, institutions cost, but the burden, patients cost is not going to be reduced. I'll just give you another example. You know, this has nothing to do with sore throat or flu. If you see a qualified good doctor i mean there are lousy ones too you know the,
0: every profession for, has
1: them yeah so yeah who has uh, some you know or an average average good doctor let's put it like that average good doctor average so if somebody comes with a calf pain you know mm-hmm. i'm having this calf pain for a uh, uh, average doctor will know that this is DVT or we should do something to rule out DVT, you know, like examination and all that thing. But a p- person who is not very qualified in this thing will say, hey, let me do an ultrasound. First, let's do a D dimer and then we'll do ultrasound to rule out a DVT. So a person who is less qualified, you are paying him less. That is 100% sure. So the institute is saving money on that. And he's ordering more tests. And institute is making money on that. So institute for an institute, that's great. They, they are saving ma- money and the, they are making money. But from patient perspective, that's not a great idea. Because it is not saving money for them. For a healthcare perspective, the cost of healthcare goes up instead of going down so it is better to provide again you know I'm, I'm going to stick to my point I mean I may be wrong also I mean I don't have I'm not saying I'm 100 percent correct I'm just putting my perspective okay oh yeah so you know so if qualified person I think is better he's the one who reduces the cost the best like any company if they hire the best qualified, like if it is Microsoft or Salesforce or Intel, if they have to hire a person who is extremely qualified, they do that instead of hiring 10 people who are less qualified instead of hiring a very qualified person. They will go ahead and give 20 million instead of you know dividing this to, 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 to let me do 100,000 of 10 people. No, uh, because uh, have you read the book Good to Great? I have. You have? Yes. In that book, uh, that uh, guy made a very good point. I still remember. I don't know whether he quoted somebody or not, but it was hire six people, pay them them like eight, and work them like ten. But again, qualified people. Because qualified person, like LeBron James, I give an example to everybody (laughs) about this. You know, if you will hire my son who has played some basketball, or you will hire LeBron James to put the ball in you know you, you can hire hundreds of people like my son you know but there's only one LeBron James so qualified person it is better to have a qualified person do the job of that profession like I will not hire a physician instead of a pharmacist because that is pharmacist job they are extremely great, good great at it. I mean, not good just they're, I mean, pharmacists have provided me better service than anybody else in my life you know I mean, they are ranked always higher. Um, I think they're ranked higher than physicians because they catch physician mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I, I, mean, I can't remember if it still was, but I think it was. It has been that way for a while, at least.
1: It is not. Well, I mean, I they catch my mistakes a lot. No, time.
0: no, it, it has been. I think that we fell a couple spots. I think nurses are now number one, but it's always right up there.
1: So that's what I'm. I mean, you know, like I would always say, anybody who is very qualified in their field, hire that person. Like if pharmacists want to collaborate, let, let them collaborate in physician offices. You know, like a physician, who, like aid physician practice, for example. Let them hire one pharmacist who goes over the charts all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and reviews the charts and tells them, hey, Dr. Mulani, this patient has chronic kidney disease, don't give metformin. You know, you prescribe this metformin to this person. You give eloquence of five milligrams two times a day. Patient should get 2.5 because she's she's 80 plus and creatinine is bad and all those things. You know, because this is where they can provide amazing service. So the pharmacists are working to the best of their ability and they're enhancing physicians in their practice. So both of them are growing. That is what I am saying. Why not go together? I mean, if there is a shortage of one, if there is a pharmacy shortage i won't say okay let the physicians do medicine um, for uh, what do you call um, dispensing also you know although pharmacists now do a lot more and you know all those people are saying pharmacy you don't know nothing you know okay, <laughs> <on> that podcast
0: <laughs> yeah and you know you know one thing i think that's interesting is your point i actually agree with you on the lebron james analogy here I just, and again, this is where I want to do this because I think we have a little different points, but we agree on the basic core of it. You do want that person who is mo- most qualified to do it. But in the case of LeBron James, his weakness is free throws. So I look at it as our way we can, you know, maybe we can step in and, you know, provide this or take this off your back a little bit. So it'd be almost like if LeBron James was playing and then you got to put in like Reggie Miller to go shoot his free throws or something. When, when it, when you know, to take that burn off his back so he can rest for a little bit. Or to kind but of, again,
1: then again, you are getting a basketball player. You are not getting a baseball player to do the f- free-throwing, you know?
0: Well, you know, we can always find that 80-year-old guy on the YouTube who hits 35,000 free-throws or whatever it is in a row. But but, <laughs> but th- that's just the way I look at it is, you know, is in this case is we're not asking to do everything. We're just trying to take a little bit of a lift off because I know in my area, even in Cleveland, we have a lot of times where people have something like strep throat or flu, and the only option for them is to go to like an ER or to something like that because they can't get in their primary care. So I look at this as our way of, of helping with that. And again, one of the biggest things is the that knowing your scope of practice and the scope of your education. The person would have to be able to walk in. You'd be able to like relatively quickly on, with their symptoms and their brief history, be able to know yes, this is likely this. Does it make sense? So to your but point, pa- we would
1: patients, be, patients also they want quick fixes nowadays. Okay. Yep. <laughs> So if we provide them quick fixes, and like, you know, not every pharmacist is like you. Every doctor is not like excellent also, you know. Yeah. Everywhere there is some bad apples and good apples. So some pharmacists, I come to know that Eric's uh, partner writes antibiotic all the time, you know. Or this pharmacy, mom and pop pharmacy, gives antibiotic whatever you need. Yeah then everybody will be lining up outside that mom and pop pharmacy to get the antibiotic they need because the pharmacist can make some money
0: Well, I, out I, of that. I do think that, yes, we do have bad actors, but I think that from what I know of pharmacists, now again, like I said, there's, there can be bad actors. I feel like that is going to be the, the rare occasion. I mean, that
1: happens in medicine also, by the way. Oh, Physicians yeah. Physicians also
0: do. It, it does, and I would hope that... Audits catch people like that, but I think we can. I think we can both agree that we disagree on this point. But I think we brought up some interesting angles on it. So I really. I think
1: we have covered most of our concerns, and yeah. uh, I just want—I'm like uh, what do you call? Yeah, I mean, I just want everybody to practice at the peak of their education and training. That's yeah. what I mean to say. Yeah. Um, and if pharmacists want to do, it, it's okay. Let them do, but. I will, I cannot endorse that simply, you know, because... Like, I'll give you just an example. Nurse practitioners were brought in to help physicians, okay? That was the goal, to help physicians in their practices. Physician assistants, that is what the goal was. Mm-hmm. Now everybody wants independent practices, you know?
0: No, I, I do understand your point there, totally.
1: And uh, this, this does not stop there. It slowly... Evolves into many things. It doesn't stop, you know. Okay, t- today is step through tomorrow. There's, oh, we can do a lot more. Oh, we know so much. I mean, so many people are saying that we know so much. I'm not saying you don't know. Yeah. Okay. But there has to be demarcation of the duties. Like if, like, you know, people. So many nurse practitioners say, I I was 20 years RN before I became NP. Yes, but that was an RN. You were a RN, means you were a nurse for 20 years. Nursing is different than being able to prescribe. Similarly, somebody can say I was a certified nurse assistant for 20 years. That does not make them nurse, isn't it? That does not make them nurse. So similarly, after 20 years, RN does not become NP. NP is completely different. You are prescribing. You are diagnosing, completely different arena.
0: Yeah. No. So I, I, just want I get what you're to saying. Keep,
1: I just want to keep the demarcations, because otherwise there is no point I mean then we all can do everything, I, and I, then this society will not function in collaboration. In fact, we will all be pulling each other's legs.
0: I, I actually do agree with you that there should be some more clear demarcations when it comes to some of the stuff. Um, definitely don't move out to Idaho. They're they have a much wider scope of practice for everyone in healthcare out there. If uh, maybe
1: if, they don't have anybody, they, Idaho they they don't have many positions. They don't have. I think the it's a small small state. Yeah. They they really not populated, not many people. I don't even know the main city uh, city of uh, Idaho.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's Boise, but <laughs> it's a oh, uh,
1: Boise. Yeah. Oh Boise, a bench, city.
0: But yeah, they've got much more open practice rules and stuff like that out there for for everybody. So it's it's a little more of what you're talking about here. But hey, I I appreciate having you on. I do want to wrap this up for the listeners. I think, like you said, we can agree to disagree. But we wanted to have this discussion out on a podcast just to kind of kind of air it out from the physician side and from the pharmacist side. So thanks for coming on, Doctor Milani. I appreciate your insight. Anything to say well, before we close?
1: Well, I would like to thank you for inviting me, and I just want to make sure I. I make this point very clear that I'm not against pharmacists at all. Not at all. Yeah. I I think they provide excellent, amazing service to me. I mean at least to me they provide amazing service. I know, I know that. And they daily I do that. I mean I see that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks.
0: No Thank no you, no you Doctor Milani, and thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast. Your prescription for pharmacy and politics.